Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. We have a new podcast launching this week exclusively on Spotify with Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman called Music Exists. Here's the trailer. Hello, this is Chris Ryan. I'm an editor at TheRinger.com. Hello, this is Chuck Klosterman. I'm a friend of Chris Ryan and The Ringer. And this is Music Exists, a podcast where we talk about how we think about music. Yeah, this is not a podcast where we tell you what music to listen to or we necessarily comment on what's happening in the culture right now or what you should be listening to tomorrow before your friends do. This is a podcast about thinking about music even when it's not playing. Yeah, how does music shape the world you see around you, the world you feel around you? How does it make you feel about yourself? Yeah, particularly if the music that makes you feel things about yourself is Steely Dan or Black Sabbath. Or Radiohead. Yeah, that happens. That comes up a lot. Music Exists, a podcast about Radiohead. (laughs) (laughs) Available exclusively on Spotify. done it we're back it's another delightful and delicious episode of house uh cars the food podcast for the hungry people by the hungry people on the ringer podcast network i am your hungry host joe house my taste buds we are kind of in an in-between eating season right now so we had to bring in an expert to help us figure out the menu while it's still kind of cold at night you want something kind of comfort comforting and comfortable but you know what spring is right around the corner some bright colors some bright flavors you can almost taste them our old pal adam rapaport the editor-in-chief of bon appetit magazine comes on to help us sort through this transition. Let's get in that belly with Brother Adam. All right, my hungry homies, you know him, you love him. Our old pal from Bon Appetit magazine, Adam Rappaport. What's happening, buddy? What's up, Joe House? It is about that time, my friend. The seasons are kind of changing. You were on before we got hot and heavy with the holidays, gave out some nice holiday recipes, some strategies, and so on and so forth. But we're kind of in this uh, bridge season is, is the way I'm calling it. And it's feeling that way, at least to me. Typically, it would be freezing effing cold because it's the middle of February, but we're in this mild stretch, at least in the mid-Atlantic. We're getting a lot of days in the in the 50 degrees. And so I can start seeing spring around the corner. And lo and behold, in my mailbox, because you know I'm old school, I like to hold things <laughs> and I like paper. Nothing. The, the beautiful March issue, Bon Appetit magazine, Taco Nation has a, a, a delicious duck cornitas with the radish escabeche on it. Hey, that's spring food, brother. So you're really getting me worked up here. Um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, sort of this this betwixt in between moment because I still have a comfort food vibe I'm feeling. It's still cold at night. I need something to to gird the loins. You know what I mean? 
But then spring is around the corner. Talk to us a little bit about what's on the menu, my brother. Yeah, I think you got to be a, a little bit flexible right now. Um, you know, it's not quite grilling weather per se, obviously. But like, if you look at our March issue, we have a big eight-page feature on Dutch ovens and all the sort of like hearty casseroles you're making in your big cruze or stove Dutch oven. And yet we've got a big 14-page story on tacos um, and how they're better than ever in, in this country right now, and a, a bunch of amazing writers contributing, etc., as well as some really delicious recipes. So you got to be ready to pivot. And that's, and I got, again, certain days you're like, wow, it's 52 degrees out. And then a week later, it's 29 degrees. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at, at for instance, uh, in, in, in February, you had the turmeric uh, salmon with coconut crisp. Now that's a, a healthy-ish kind of thing. February was our, our healthy-ish issue. So that was like trying to start, tr- start the year off right, which I mean, I'm the editor, so I have to co-sign that. I don't know if I'm necessarily partaking in that healthiest approach. Well, I mean, you you did send me more than one picture in the last uh, eight weeks of of giant chicken parm dinners at Pietro's, right? I mean, I yes, that is true. I my philosophy is like I'm not a dry January guy. I I just try to go to the gym a decent amount. I try to eat healthy during the day, and then in the evening, I try to reward myself. Yes, I I feel the exact same way. I approach life that way as well. The evening is for rewarding time. And, yeah. you know, that that could be food. It could be alcohol. It could be other kinds of pursuits. But this notion of just wholesale abstaining from something I don't subscribe to. It's just like you can, again, you can just eat a little more sensibly without having to cross something completely off the list. Yeah, and we're not judging. If you If that works for you, if you need to be a person that excises cheeseburgers for a month, by all means, go ahead and do that. Just don't ask me then to go bet on you to go win a golf tournament, Brooks Kepner. <laughs> God damn it. I'm still not over it. He took off cheeseburgers for two months and then went out and he didn't tell anybody and went out and played poorly at the players last year. I'm sorry, Rappo. This is a food podcast, but I, the, 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 the hurt runs deep when I lose money. I feel you. So um, can we talk tacos? Yeah, I would love to talk tacos. All right, without with all due respect to LeBron, he does not own Taco Tuesday. Okay, like, <laughs> I, and well, maybe he re, he reinvigorated it. I mean, he did. You know, I think yeah, he gave it, was it a kind good of a, PR boost. There we go. So yeah, so we this big taco story, but I do think you know we're at a point now, ingredient wise and recipe wise, that you can make really awesome tacos at home. And it's also, if you have kids, like we both have, it's a fun thing to kind of get the kids involved in because you can kind of build your own. And whereas the parents might want to add a few extra ingredients, the kids can keep it simple with like chicken and cheese or whatever. Um, But I think what's great right now um, are A, the tortillas you can buy. And and, And any good taco starts with the tortilla. And what we write about in the issue is... The amazing flour tortillas you can get now. Um, this one company, Caramelo, out of Kansas City. Uh, there's also Vista Hermosa here in New York, where you get these hand-pressed, beautiful tortillas laid in with either duck fat or avocado oil or pork fat, and they're so beautifully pressed and fat-laden, you can almost see through them. And you get the, they kind of remind me of um, like when you get Peking duck and you get the little pancakes, you know? Oh. Um, They're that beautiful. And like the Caramello, they will ship them to you. Um, So you get these beautiful Sonoran-style tacos. If you ever go to Sonora Town in L.A., which is a beautiful restaurant, and Sonora, the town in Mexico, northern Mexico, where flour tortillas are much more prominent than corn. Um, And it's just kind of a 
an aha moment. Whereas it, you and I, I think we grew up when we'd go to Safeway or Giant in DC and you'd get that bag of flour tortillas and they were just depressing. And they were just like what you would get at, at the, like, you know, the college cafeteria when you got your wrap. Um, and we were just sort of not sort of introduced to what a real flour tortilla is. So I will now get a, buy a nice bag of those and I will griddle them up in a cast iron skillet. And as each one comes to temperature, I'll wrap it in a nice dish towel. So you keep a stack warm and then you got to decide, all right, well, what's my protein tonight? Um, you know, we have that great recipe. The cover star is this duck carnitas taco. Um, and so traditional carnitas, uh, as you know, Joe House, is made with pork. Um, there's a recipe online at bonapetit.com. Uh, Rick Martinez's double pork carnitas, uh, where he takes pork belly and pork shoulder, simmers it, simmers it till it's falling apart, and then crisps it up in a pan in its own fat till it gets all crispy and shreddy and crunchy. You whack that up, and there's a similar technique taken with the duck carnitas because if you ever made, have you ever made um, uh, duck confit? This is exactly what I was going to ask you. It looks in in um, appearance and and style and texture. I have I love duck confit. I've I've never prepared it with my own two hands. But you know, I, it it appears like this this approach is a is a shredded duck kind of vibe. I mean, basically, yeah. So carnitas, in the truest sense, if you go to Mexico, it's basically all the parts of the pig, the pork, sort of simmering in this giant cauldron of pork fat, and it's glorious and delicious. Some t- some places season it more with like oranges and spices and whatnot. Some season just it's just salt. Um, but if you ever make duck carnitas, I mean, if you ever make duck confit. Uh, and we have a great basic duck confit recipe on BA.com where what I love about this recipe, you just do the, you season the duck legs and you turn them on heat in a Dutch oven with the top on and they render so much fat of their own that they begin to essentially poach and confit, if you will, in their own fat. And so by the time they're done cooking, they're neck deep in, in duck fat. And this recipe in the magazine for the carnitas, we do it in pork fat, but it's the same thing. It's cooking in its own fat, gets super tender. And at the end, you take the, the meat out of the, the pot, let it cool a bit. You shred the meat, you take the skin off, and then you take that skin and you fry that in a bit of the remaining pork fat. So you get these amazing duck cracklings that are super crispy and crunchy. And you crunch those up with the shredded meat in your flour tortilla, we make this escabeche, uh, which is just like lime juice and honey and some radishes and onions, et cetera. It's essentially sort of a, a salsa. So you have this bright, acidic escabeche, rich duck meat, crispy cracklings, gorgeous, warm flour tortilla. And you're just like, okay, that's the best thing I've ever eaten. Yeah. So it's, we're in a brand new decade. It's, it's 2020 and you are describing the uh, evolutionary taco Tuesday possibilities, and there's really no ceiling, no limit on on how creative you can get. Now, I, if you don't mind, can we set the stage a little bit here? Let's harken back to our yesteryears with, um, you know, the the, the taco tradition because you touched on it at the top, and I think it remains the experience of a lifetime, the tradition that we have here in the United States for whatever reason, and we grew up with that tradition, 
of one night a week being taco night and for whatever reason Tuesday being that night do you did you do any research into the origin story of why Tuesday became the the, the taco night I imagine because both words start with a T <laughs> but Americans are like the uh, alliterative Americans this is why because T T I mean you wouldn't say taco Thursday you want the hard no, T you wouldn't. it needs to be the no, hard T I, I, I... I literally think it, yeah, it just comes down to branding. In your letter from the editor at the outset, you, you really do kind of set the, the, the stage for how timeless this tradition is. Well, yeah, it is. But so we grew up at the same time in D.C. and the tacos that I grew up with, I was like, I don't like these. It's hard shells, ground beef sauteed with quote unquote taco seasoning, some iceberg lettuce and some pre-shredded orange cheese. And I was like, I don't get this. This isn't good. I thought as a kid growing up in D.C. that had a very small Latin population, what population there was in D.C. was mostly Salvadoran. So I wasn't really introduced to actual Mexican food as a kid. I went to college in San Diego at UCSD, and I wrote about this in my head letter. One night, one of the fellow, one of the one night, one of my friends at school was like, "Hey, man, we're going to Roberto's." I was like, "What's Roberto's?" And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, "Get in the car." Um, and Roberto's is a chain of taquerias around San Diego. He ordered me a carne asada burrito with just guacamole and beans and cheese. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, oh, this is Mexican food. And I, I can still taste that bite of the marinated grilled meat, the avocado, that warm, moist tortilla. And it just sort of, my head exploded. And that then started me down this trail for the next four years, or actually five years. I took took my time in college of <laughs> well done exploring just amazing Mexican food in California, from the Baja style, uh, you know, fish tacos to going up north to Berkeley, where I transferred to, and then getting the mission style burritos and everything from carnitas to carne asada to pollo asada, different salsas, corn tortillas, flour tortillas, um, and it's just this amazing journey that you know it just continues. And I just it's it's a food that it, it's so good, and I think a lot of Americans sort of had a misperception of because they had not, had not necessarily been able to enjoy it if you didn't live in, in California or, say, Chicago or parts of Texas. Uh, but now I think that there's so many great Mexican taquerias around the United States doing really great work. And it's kind of we're in this sort of golden age of, of tacos and their, and their related sort of siblings. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to get you to share that story, because you had a unique and relatively uncommon experience in the 80s, when you were in, in college, uh, being introduced to, to Californian, you know, the, the Californian version of, of Mexican food, I, w I labored out here on the East Coast. Now, it is funny you say that you didn't like um, the tacos that you, your mom made for you. I loved them, but I didn't... I didn't <laughs> I didn't know any better, and I just liked, you know, the, the maybe it's nostalgia. Um, I'm applying full nostalgia yeah. to the experience but of it because I it's just so far it's just so far removed from what the actual thing was. But you yeah, know, you're, yeah, you're you right. can appreciate it. No, and 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 you know, it was as much as anything the experience of it because you, uh, as a young as a as a kid, you know, as a teenager, you can make it. You take the the mom cooks up the meat, and then everything else is on you. So if you want, you know, the ratio of cheese and, and vegetables and, you know, the, the tomato, the diced tomato and the iceberg lettuce is so funny. Everybody was iceberg lettuce and, and cheese and whatever hot, hot sauce. I'm sure it was just old El Paso is all that we had in the house. But like you, you know, that that was cool. Like that was, you know, hands on. 
Now, I did help in the kitchen a little bit, but you know, um, for whatever reason, that that nostalgia still uh, applies. But it was some time in my own life before I actually made it out to California and got to eat, you know, kind of the the, the proper version. And what you're describing is like a different planet. It's food from a different planet altogether. And even just from Southern California to Northern California, when I got to the Bay Area, my roommate, Kurt Zapata, was like, all right, we're going to the mission to get burritos. And I was like, what's the mission? <laughs> He's like, dude. <laughs> but getting that first mission-style burrito, which is, I think, you know, essentially what Chipotle has popularized so much over the last decade, but just the plump, moist pinto beans and the pico de gallo and the giant you know, burrito the size of your head, and whether it's carne asada or carnitas, et cetera, um, and all the pickled vegetables on the table and the rice. And like, again, it was a sort of this just mind blowing experience. Um, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I think that's Mexican food to me is what was traditionally thought of as like most Americans as comfort food. And in like, that's what I think is so great about this country where you do have access to so many different cuisines. Um, and so many people appreciate them that you can get the real thing in a much broader swath of the country than you used to be able to. Yeah. And the democratization of, of food and the introduction by way of, uh, really as much as anything, social media and the, and the rise of, you know, other, other cultures, just access, you know, the, the, um, and, and God bless folks like Rick Martinez out there, you know, um, not, not that he's the only, I'm not, I'm not appointing him the cultural emissary of Mexican <laughs> yeah. food, just people that, that love the food and, and, you know, tried to do their own kind of version of it and use that in their own small way to introduce folks to a different kind of, of Mexican. Um, and that's been, you know, going on for a long time, but now you just described here with this very first recipe folks doing crazy innovative versions of the flour tortilla and you know the idea of going and getting duck um and having the confidence to do it correctly that you're not going to botch it that you can you know do a confit with with duck and 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 you know the the mix of of what's traditionally been highbrow and lowbrow like all those elements are at play with this and that's uh, i think what makes you know the moment right now such a cool moment for tacos? I think what the American restaurant scene has always done well is take tradition, respect it, understand it, at least the good chefs, and then put their twist on it. You know, and so yeah, whether whether it's a duck carnitas, whether it's shrimp al pastor instead of pork, um, you know, this one place, Eight Arm Atlanta, doing these fried mushroom tacos, um, being inventive while still understanding what it is that makes a really wonderful taco. Um, so yeah, I, I love doing it at home and we have some other couple of things. Like Rick did this awesome sort of uh, choose your own uh, salsa adventure matrix um, in terms of that's another thing. Like it's the same thing my, in my mind, salad dressing and salsas are the same. You should never buy them. I don't want to say never, but you should be making your own. Um, and it's kind of cool. He says like, you know, one, you pick a fruit or a veg or both, whether it's tomato, tomatillo, uh, melon, cucumber, jicama, et cetera. You then add a little heat, your jalapeno serrano, you throw in some herbs, could be cilantro, mint, parsley, uh, and then you add some onion, garlic, lime juice, salt. Um, and there's three ways to treat that. So you've got your fruit and veg and everything else that goes with it. You can like throw it all in a blender, boom, and you're done. In the off season, like now, if I'm going to get tomatoes, they're probably not going to be good. So what is a cool thing to do is like sear them in a cast iron skillet to give them a little bit of a smoky char, or if you have a gas grill outside, um, just to sort of bring some element of, of, of depth and smokiness to it. 
while keeping like the onion and the garlic uh, raw, or you can chop it all by hand for the more of a pico de gallo effect. But that notion is like, yeah, you, you should and can be making your sauces at home super easily, super quickly. So you've got that bright, fresh thing on the table. You've got maybe your carnitas or like what I love to do for Marlon, my son. We both have boys who are, I would say, eating challenge, perhaps. <laughs> um, <you laughs> picky, know, so, picky eaters for sure. Exactly. So we'll just, I'll just get some, you know, bone the chicken breast, cut, cut it up, marinate it in some olive oil, lemon juice, garlic, maybe a little soy or something, and then just char that really hard on the grill and then hack it up. Like, again, like literally Chipotle style, because that's what he's grown up with. He loves Chipotle, you know, kids tacos. I'll yeah. chop that up, and then I'll have some like nice ripe avocado on the table. We'll make a salsa. Maybe I'll make some rice if I'm feeling particularly hungry. Um, I'll throw in a bunch of chopped cilantro and lime in the rice. Um, what else I love to do, and I know this is cheating, but if, this, if it's a weeknight, I'm not making beans from scratch. Like I, I'm not soaking the beans the night before, et cetera, et cetera. I love just get a can of Goya black beans. Um, there's always a question of what to do with all that mucousy sort of <laughs> bean liquid. I drain a little out, maybe rinse it a little bit, but then I'll just in a pot, um, saute up a bunch of like, uh, onions, a couple of smashed garlic cloves, maybe throw in a little cilantro or something, or maybe throw in a little cilantro or uh, oregano and then just pour the beans in there and just let it simmer for like 20 minutes with the top on a uh, really low heat. The the beans thing is always a what to do. It's funny. You mentioned the, the, the Goya black beans. I've got like 10 cans in there right now. Um, I leave all of the bean juice in there and I like, I think it's fine to cook it in there. And the, the ingredient that I add that I've managed to, um, get away with, um, my picky eater wife, my picky eater son is cumin. If you get a little, oh, cumin. you know, interesting. Yeah. See, I, I hate cumin. Cumin is, uh, one of, cumin is one of those places for some reason I just have a reaction to. So again, I'll throw in some like oregano. Sometimes like, it's not, oregano is not the same as Mexican oregano, but just add a little something. But I do think sauteing some onion and garlic just get, gives it a little lift. Sometimes people throw in a little beer or something. But yeah, sure. Delicious beans, good tortillas, some kind of charred, chopped up, whether it's chicken steak, carnitas, um, you got some avocado, you got a salsa. And again, it's that sort of thing of being able to assemble it yourself. Marlon will throw on a little shredded cheese or just sour cream on his chicken. Simone and I are loading up on a little bit of everything. We've got a bunch of fresh limes on the table. You got a couple of beers going. Um, you know, and if you can divide and conquer with your wife or husband, you can do this actually pretty quickly. If you have uh, you know, the canned beans, you already have the store-bought tortillas. Um, you're basically just marinating and, and growing up some meat or something. I want to get a little inside baseball, uh, inside mm. the, the BA uh, test kitchen. I'm thinking about hacks because we are in kind of this uh, January, February, March bridge season. And you mentioned tomatoes are not reliable right now. Um, was there any thought, any discussion amongst the group uh, about the possibility of bringing in some San Marzanos in, in a can? And, and you know, the, the, the crushed San Marzanos. Interesting. A- and using that for a salsa. Yeah, well, I mean, is if you're looking for a reliable, trustworthy tomato based, and you know the the San Marzanos, you can't go wrong. Um, but you know, you are losing something by you uh, by way of of introducing a canned item. Like you just have to get over that. Yeah, but um, I I'm actually I, that Joe House. That's actually a good idea. <laughs> um, hey, I'd be curious hey. if you're gonna make a blender salsa, and you so you've got your canned San Marzanos. You're gonna throw a little. Cilantro in there, uh, some garlic, some lime juice, some onion, maybe a habanero. Yeah, 
I'd be curious. I mean, no salt, obviously. Blend yeah, it all. Well, I, I feel like yeah. Samajanos have a a bit more of a concentrated tomatoey flavor than would a in season ripe tomato, if you will. Uh, undoubtedly, you're absolutely right. But that but doesn't I, necessarily, you you know, you can you can ratio it up. You can figure out what's the correct sort of allocation of of uh, San Marzano to the rest of the ingredients. Yeah, I think you know one thing Rick Martinez points out uh, in the development of this story is that he thinks you know people often overthink the salsa and, and they they put too much weight. It's just like yeah, get some decent ingredients, throw it in a blender. You just want something bright and zippy and acidic to ladle on the rest of your ingredients. It doesn't have to be the centerpiece. It's, it's a complementary element and it's easy to make. And again, I think you can, whether you have a tomato or you, you know, with fruit, you know, back in the eighties or nineties, mango salsas were a thing. Peach, yeah, you know, if you have peach, peach and sure, chilies sure, and, sure, and, and mint, yeah. you know, easy to do. Um, you just be flexible. And like I said, if you've got that onion, you got garlic. I kind of go back and forth on sometimes I like it. Sometimes I don't in, a salsa, um, but I think that that sort of onion, chili, herb, whether it's mint or cilantro, whatnot, and then you got your fruit or veg. I can't think about garlic right now. I had for dinner last night um, a Mediterranean kind of uh, uh, layout that included this absolutely delicious and properly, I love the heat of it, the shug, but it was so oh, yeah. F- garlicky. I mean, I could taste it when I woke up uh, this morning. I absolutely enjoyed it immensely, but I have to have no garlic for the next three days. As BA's Brad Leone will tell you, it's very good for you. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. I mean, the whole meal that I had, it was, you know, diced chicken and, and rices and chopped tomato and cucumber and, you know, sugar. The whole thing was, was, was healthy-ish, if I may. Um, you may. But but the price, the garlic price, I don't know what to tell you. All right. So we have the tacos. We have the salsa. What else are we looking at right now? You had mentioned when we were emailing earlier, because it's still March, still can be a little nasty out or soon to be March. Um, we're still like in that hearty pasta weather. Yes, we sure are. I still want pasta, brother. And so we had a recipe in our healthiest issue for Cauliflower bolognese, calibolo. Yes, yeah, um, ca- ca- calibolo. So I want to just right before you say another word, count me as skeptical. Okay. Well, first of all, I urge any listeners to go online to the cauliflower bolognese recipe on our healthiest uh, vertical bon appetit, whatever you want to Google it for. But you'll see it. First of all, it looks exactly like bolognese. Okay. If you look at the picture, Joe House, like I, you would, you would have no idea that's not traditional bolognese. I have it open. I'm looking. I'm looking. All right, all right. You've 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 got me with the look. The look is good. I like the look. Okay. So obviously, you're not using like a pound of pork and beef and stuff. So what we're doing here is uh, we're taking about 12 ounces of mushrooms, shiitake, crimini, etc., whatever you want. We're blitzing those in a food processor, and we're also blitzing a head of cauliflower. And what you're doing I, is you're Given those mushrooms a hard sear, and mushrooms have like a meaty-like quality. They caramelize really nicely, you know. They give off that brown, caramelized yumminess in the same way that meat does. I just love it when you start blitzing stuff. Blitz the hell yeah, out of all it. of it. Why not? I love uh, it. And so you got some onions, garlic. You got some serranos in there, uh, some rosemary. You're doing the uh, mushrooms. You're adding the, the cauliflower. So you've got this 
this sort of a melange, which is resembling what you do when you saute ground pork and beef. Um, and then to that, you're adding a little tomato paste as you would with bolognese. Typical bolognese doesn't usually have canned tomatoes in it. I don't like a real tomato-y bolognese. I like the kind where you're just browning the meat, wet, uh, white wine and chicken stock and tomato paste and letting that simmer down. Sometimes people add milk, um, but essentially it's it's not an overly tomato-y um, sauce. It's more of a meat sauce with some tomato elements. Um, and you're doing the same thing here. So you've got this sort of nicely brown cauliflower uh, mushroom mixture serving as the meat substitute. You have your onion and garlic, little rosemary, tomato paste. Um, and at the end, because while this is healthy, it's also healthy-ish, um, you add some pasta water, some butter, and a bunch of Parmesan cheese and mix it all together, and you get this gorgeous, creamy, meaty-ish uh, bolognese that has no meat in it. Now, I want to ask th- th- this question. Shout out to... Uh, Allison Roman, can you can we not figure out a way to get a little anchovy into this mix to just up the overall umami of this son of a bitch? I mean, I would say this: if it were up to my wife, um, she would add uh, anchovy to every pasta we make at the Rapa Buck House. Um, <laughs> she's <laughs> she she's a Roman disciple. I, yeah, she's yeah, she, very much so. I I can always tell when she's trying to sneak one in. I'm like, you put anchovy in this, didn't you? She's like, no, I'm like, yes, you did. Um, this would make sense in that you have that sort of yeah, giving it a little umami boost, um, playing off the tomato paste and the garlic and stuff. I think the anchovy would would work easily into this one. I I am I was really intrigued by so I, first of all I I've been sneaking anchovy paste into beef stew and not telling yeah. anybody. For a while, and that you know, it, it just hits the 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 right. It adds a, a richness, a kind of luxe, a kind of luxuriousness to the overall element of it. Um, and I uh, had Allison Roman on the podcast back in the fall, where she was doing her worldwide domination uh, takeover with the Nothing Fancy book, and I didn't realize how uh, what an anchovy proponent she was. So I felt like. Uh, I've been doing something right with this anchovy paste, but what caught my eye recently in among the BA uh, recommendations is fish sauce. Oh yeah, I wondered about that as a as a way of sneaking in a little. Now it feels like for something like this fish sauce, I don't know about that marriage. Um, you know, I, I I worry that it might add a, a kind of funk that might be discordant to the whole thing, but. Uh, you you've got my attention with this fish sauce recommendation. I do, yeah. So fish sauce very prevalent in Asian cooking. It definitely brings the funk. Um, you if you you definitely if you ever have like nak cham, uh, the Vietnamese sort of sauce marinade. Um, you know, what, one thing we just say, you know, it's two tablespoons fresh lime juice, two tablespoons fish sauce, half teaspoon sugar, a little water, mix it all together. You can throw in some garlic and chopped cilantro. Um, it just brings like a nice sort of like this bassy undernote in a, in a similar way that anchovies does. Um, and I think if you, once you start cooking with it, you'll notice it when you have it out at restaurants. Um, you know, whether it's a Thai restaurant or Vietnamese restaurant, you're like, Oh, that's fish sauce. Sometimes you didn't notice it before, which is interesting. I think in the same way um, that with anchovies, 
sometimes unless someone tells you there's anchovies in it, you might not notice it. You just sort of taste this sort of salty depth of flavor. Uh, and I think fish sauce serves a similar purpose in, in a lot of Asian cuisines. There's also an Italian fish sauce called colatura, which is kind of it's similar. Yeah, that's exactly what I, I, I wanted to ask about. Like, it feels like you, we ought to be able to jump across the fence um, with with this uh, particular ingredient and just w- where a dish calls for, you know, a hit of, of umami, a, a slight, you, you, you know, kind of a, an added kind of layer and undernote is the word that you used um, and maybe up the salt without using salt salt. Uh, that this could be a vehicle for it. Um, I need to do a little more research on like what's the difference between um, Asian style fish sauce, Italian style fish sauce. You know, the I think the basic idea of um, you know the preparation of it is is common, but like what are the accents um, that differentiate, yeah. and and wh- what would you put it in? Yeah, I think well, a I think the best way to do that is just start experimenting, you know, and you buy a, yes. a bottle of, of red boat fish sauce, which is what we showed on the page in our March issue. But, you know, we said how to use it and, you know, you can use it in vinaigrette. You literally just put a few drops in there along with like, whether it's lime juice, honey, maybe a little oil, you know, uh, pasta sauce. We say pasta sauces where you use anchovies like a marinara, just add a few yes. dashes. Maybe you like it. Uh, braised meats. You just mentioned stews. Stews often need something to sort of brighten it up a little bit. Uh, marinades, definitely use that. If I'm using soy sauce, maybe a little fish sauce. Uh, again, some lime juice, something sweet perhaps. Uh, soups. can A lot of times with soup, when you make soup at home, it needs a little something to sort of kickstart it. And whether that's like a hit of vinegar or a hit of fish sauce, it just sort of wakes it up after it's been cooking for a while stir fries. Um, yeah. So there's a lot of different things you can do. And I, I just think it ultimately it's one of those things you got to experiment with it yourself. And, and again, it's interesting with some like anchovies, people who like anchovies tend to love anchovies, you know, um, it's almost like hot sauce. Once you start adding it to things, you're like, Oh, let's add, let's add a little bit in this. You know, I'm I'm one, I'm both a hot sauce person and an anchovy person. But what I'm interested in solving for is how to introduce to people that that either by their own upbringing or because like my kid, he has a kid's palate. He, he can't like take the concentrated effect of of the idea of, of anchovies. Um, but I want to sneak it in and I, I like to sneak it in on my wife. I mean, that's the other part, like the, with the, the beef stew, she doesn't know there's anchovy paste in there. She just it admires the richness of, of what we we've created. What's interesting. It's interesting with something like beef stew. There's so many, it's such a rich hearty dish already. Yes. Adding a few dashes of fish sauce or adding some anchovies sort of, they, they much, they integrate much more easily then if you're just making a marinade where it's like two tablespoons fish sauce, two tablespoons soy sauce, etc., you're going to taste it a lot more. But in a big Dutch oven of braised, you know, uh, short ribs, you're it's going to be more subtle and it's going to add that little something, something that your wife appreciates, but she might not recognize. Yeah, well, that that's what it's all. That's how. That's why I married her. I mean, that's the whole point. She's, <laughs> <laughs> the whole I pulled the whole. That's a whole lifetime. That's another. That's for another podcast. But I do think going back to the cauliflower bolognese, when you look at this list of ingredients, you see the way it presents. It does seem like you might be able to to you know sneak in a dose of of added kind of heightened um, f- flavor electricity by way of something like a fish sauce, like an anchovy paste, maybe an actual uh, anchovy, if you can disguise it properly. 
Well, also, I think, you know, I, I always, with any recipe, with the exception of baking, perhaps, where things get more precise and exact, you know, I, I always think recipes should be more of a guide than exact directions, you know? Yes. Appraise the recipe, feel free to add or subtract in the way that you as a cook like best in terms of flavors. If you start dealing with like ratios and like making wholesale changes, well, you can't expect the recipe to work great. But if you're going to add a little anchovy to this cauliflower bolognese recipe, the recipe itself retains its integrity of what the, the, the notion is behind it and what the technique is behind it. You're just adding another layer of flavor that might not otherwise be there. And, and I think that's what's important with recipes. You, you have to appreciate what the core technique is that makes that recipe great, and then you can play around. You like cumin? I don't. So you're going to put cumin in? Maybe I'll put fennel in or something, fennel seeds. Like, you can play around with that element. But I still the the main making of the recipe I I, I need to adhere to. I, that, that all makes perfect sense. I think that is the a perfect summation of the kind of ingenuity and creativity we encourage everybody to uh, experiment. The, we we have the beautiful recipes, the, the carnitas. We have you know all of the the. Uh, open options when it comes to the salsas. And here we go with a cauliflower bolognese and you can, you know, take some of our uh, inspiration or not just make the recipe. It's going to be effing delicious. You can look at it online or in, in the magazine. It's perfect. Rappo, before I let you go, I know that BA has a couple things coming up um, that I'm interested in, in terms of going to some cities and some folks from the test kitchen coming out. What do you guys got uh, coming up here? Uh, all right. So, Two events. We have a live podcast coming up in Philadelphia. Should be beginning of April. We'll announce um, details shortly on our Instagram feed, and you'll have a bunch of the Test Kitchen editors there. Whether it's Andy, Molly, Chris, Carl, etc., we'll have some Philadelphia chefs and writers, um, and it's going to be a really fun evening of readings, interviews, game show situations. There will be food and drink. When you say food, food and drink, is it is it food and drink from the BA test kitchen? Are you exporting? Or are you importing from the locale? You're going to be in Philly. Is there going to be some badia in there? What do you how how's the food and drink going to work? <laughs> I'm going to say that is all TBD. It's it's being negotiated right now, so I can't can't give that away. But I'm going to jump on the train and come up. I want uh, maybe I can do a combo. I'll rug, stop in at at. Uh, the, the market and get a Dinix uh, pork and, and broccoli rob just to make sure that I'm not shortchanged. That would be a smart idea. Uh, so we got that coming up in April. And then uh, about a month later in May, we are looking to do a live podcast in Los Angeles, which we are very excited about. Details to come on that one. Both again, both will be um, announced on our Instagram feed uh, at Bon Appetit. That's outstanding. I mean, Los Angeles, what a great uh, time to be in LA. Great time to be a person who's hungry in LA. Every single week, something new, some new uh, restaurant ingredient, all of it's happening in L.A. We're not ready. I'm not going to do this to you. Uh, we'll save it for another pod. New York versus L.A. as the food capital of the United States. I don't I mean some people are saying, Rappo, I'm not saying, but some people are saying <laughs> L L.A. People are saying, no, that is a, uh, it's funny. Last night I was um, at a book event for Sam Sifton, New York Times uh, food editor, um, and Tejal Rowe was there. and She's the New York Times California restaurant critic. 
Uh, and we were having that very discussion with our friend Gabe T about, yeah, is L.A. the most interesting food town in America right now? And I think it can finally lay a serious claim to that title. My only issue with L.A. is it's it's so hard to think of it as one city because it's yes. so massive. And like if you're right. eating out in downtown, downtown L.A., compared to, say, Venice or Santa Monica, are so far apart. And it's, 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 it's so many, like, multiple cities sort of smushed into one. Um, so I think people think of it differently than a lot of other cities. But the, the, the sort of the breadth and quality of eating in, in L.A. right now on so many different levels um, is, is really impressive. And that, I, your, your point is, is well taken. I mean, you know, the, the going from uh, West Hollywood to the San Gabriel Valley it's it's nearly the same as going from Washington DC up to Baltimore two different you know uh destinations two different cities here on the east coast with their own sort of food traditions and food pathways but in LA we just call that LA exactly right? so anyway yeah. but no i'm 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 psyched to get back there and uh and cannot wait okay well i might invite myself to one or both of those two events <laughs> and uh i'm looking very forward to it as always adam Rappaport, editor in chief of bon appetit magazine you can get them on the IG. What's the IG uh, handle? Mine is just at Rappoport, R-A-P-O-P-O-R-T. Uh, a, lot, a lot of great food content on there as well as, you know, a little, some sneakers, some golf, some fashion, some some sports. So, yeah. I mean, you're, you're a man of, of many pursuits, Adam Rappaport. Thanks for coming on as always, my dude. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joel. Bye-bye. All right, my hungry homies, there we go. Another delicious appearance by the homie Adam Rappaport. My friends, we have something exciting coming up here on House of Carbs, a dedicated, focused little mini-series that we're going to spring on you as spring arrives in March. Sorry, I had to do it. I am pleased to report we're taking a smidgen of a break. Next week, we're off. And then we're coming in guns blazing in March with this miniseries. Some big names, some big topics, some big items, some big meals to be had. My taste buds, you will not go home hungry. I promise it. Until next time, my taste buds, let's stay hungry out there. <laughs>